Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lexicon Valley is brought to you by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. All of season one is available now, so listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing people. Search for The Message on iTunes. And by Texture, the mobile app that lets you tap directly into the world's most popular magazines anywhere using your phone or tablet. Dive deeper into Vogue, People, Esquire, Time, and many more with interactive content for a richer reading experience. Right now, try Texture for free at texture.com lexicon. That's texture.com lexicon. The following podcast contains explicit language. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 75, a new installment of Linguophile, wherein we discuss a mystery word or phrase with lexicographer Ben Zimmer. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. How you doing, buddy? Splendid. Thank you. And your own self? I'm great. I'm great. Ben, how are you? And what is our clue? I'm doing just fine. And I'm right here in the studio with Mr. Bob Garfield again. It's always a great experience. The blindingly handsome Bob Garfield. Yes, I have to avert my gaze. So I got a great word for you guys. And this word, interestingly, is actually a number. Eleven. No, no. It's a number that actually works as a verb, if that helps. 86. Excuse me. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine. <laughs> <laughs> Mike went straight to the right number. Bob was going to count till he got there. <laughs> Mike is correct with 86. So to 86 someone or something, how would you guys define that? Kill, right? It's to... Could uh, be, could be. To end, to terminate with, uh, what's that expression? With extreme dispatch. To throw away, to cancel. You better 86 the 69 talk, Jer. Here come the girls. If his parents hadn't 86 then you two might have been bunkies at prep school. Definitely 86 the code. It sends the wrong message. Fucking guy just 86 the none. That's it. It's over. I'm burned out. 86 
to the showers. I'm sorry. I have to interrupt. I got that wrong. It's to terminate with extreme prejudice. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. Well, this is a great word, and it's another listener suggestion. This comes from none other than John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants, one of my favorite bands. Well, that makes me ecstatic. I'm a huge fan of They Might Be Giants. I have come to be a fan of their children's music now that I have a child. Here Come the ABCs is, for my money, better than anything Sesame Street ever put out. I've got to ask you, how much of your money have you actually spent? On Here Come the ABCs, I actually own the disc. Oh, you do? <laughs> I do. Okay, good. Yeah. Because I, I can predict the future. I don't know if you're aware I have that superpower. But my prediction is that sometime in the very near future, you will illegally copy some <laughs> They Might Be Giants music no, no, to no. insert somewhere <laughs> in this podcast without compensating the band or its label in any way, shape, or form. I'm just, I'm just saying. So John Flansburg sent a note, and he said, um, as a guy who spends too much time in bars, for you and your friends at Lexicon Valley, 86th, what about it? So it does work its way into the lingo of bars and uh, other places that serve people, or not, as the case may be. When a keg is kicked, as they say, uh, or when they're refusing service to a customer who's perhaps been hitherto overserved. Exactly, exactly. That can be a little code that gets used for various purposes in the food industry. Some restaurants might have an 86 board where the waitstaff can look and see, oh, yeah, we're out of that. You know, it's been sort of crossed out. It's been 86 Some even incorporate it into their computer system where they have codes to let people know, you know, what's available and what's not. It's interesting because it's been part of this kind of restaurant jargon for quite a long time, and it persists uh, to this day. If you have only one piece of Chilean sea bass <laughs> in the fridge, does the uh, executive chef warn the white staff that we're at 85? <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent question. Yeah, and how did we get to 86 exactly? It seems like such a random number. It does seem quite random, although people have come up with very clever explanations for why that number should apply to these different scenarios that we're talking about, where a restaurant is out of food or you want to get that drunk guy out of the bar. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and this is actually quite a limb because... As we've established, every single term you bring us derives in some way from the military or horse racing. But I'm going to say that this has nothing to do with horse racing. You forgot about nautical life. It, and boxing. And boxing. <laughs> so there are actually four categories that are the source of all words. Okay, I'm ruling out horse racing and boxing. I'm not ruling out the military, but I think I might rule out the Navy. Well, you know, one of the many, many explanations that have been given for 86 actually is nautical. Supposedly, a standard crew on British merchant ships would have 85, and so the 86 sailor would be left on shore. People tried to give it that nautical origin, but that's one of many that are simply spurious. Speaking of spurious, or spurious as I've pronounced it my whole life probably incorrectly, and speaking of being incorrect... It occurs to me that my original answer about 86ing somebody or something was to kill it. And maybe I was conflating or confusing 86 with deep six. Mm -hmm. And that it actually has never meant killing something <laughs> or someone. And that I am just was completely off on the wrong track. You're not off, but that meaning developed much later in uh, the term's history. 
86, I believe since maybe the 1970s, has come to mean to kill, and perhaps influenced by Deep Six. But to kill someone is to dispatch them, as you said. And so you can see the metaphorical extension from the original source, which is really from the waitstaff having to convey the information that food is not available. Yeah, you know, it was in Full Metal Jacket, I think, that I first heard the term wasted as a euphemism for getting killed. Yeah, well, we're not leaving Doc J and 8-Ball out there. Doc J and 8-Ball are wasted. You know that. Bullshit! Come on, you guys! We gotta go bring him back! Let's go get him! Let's do it! It strikes me that there's an extension of the metaphor there as well, right? Waste, rubbish, trash, garbage. Something that you dispose of, something that you kill, fits into the same category. When you first heard that usage of wasted, were you uh, wasted? (laughs) No, I wasn't. I was but a child. You were a child watching Full Metal Jacket? That's not exactly a kid's show. (laughs) You know, know, Mr. Rogers, it ain't. We're going to leave the military out of this this time. At least this time. We're not going to be talking about any military origins. And and we're going to keep focused on the restaurant business and and other places that serve people food. So how far back do you think this might go in that industry? I'm going to take a stab. And this is really just a, not just a guess, but an extremely wild guess. But that it goes back to the early part of the 20th century or the latter part of the 19th century, and that it has to do with the volume of a barrel or (laughs) something that uh, has 86 units of area in it, and uh, that's where I'm going to stack all my chips. I feel like you gave away a little bit, Ben, earlier the timeline here when you said that Mm a folk etymology, a false etymology, was related to the English Navy. Mm -hmm. I would, I think, otherwise have said something like the 1930s or 1940s, but I guess I'm going to have to go back to the 1700s, I think, now. Whoa. (laughs) Well, if we really did know that it had something to do with the British Navy, then maybe it would go back that far, but no. Your first instinct was correct. The earliest example that we have where we can definitely say that 86 in the meaning of an item not being available or a restaurant being out of that is from 1933. There we go. See? So my original instinct was correct. Um, Well, if you say two widely divergent things, (laughs) the chances are that one of them is going to be nearly correct. (laughs) Somewhere between the beginning of time and tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you would not do well, let's say, on The Price is Right with this strategy. But anyway, uh, nice job, Mike. (laughs) Thank you. Instinctually. Okay, let's pause briefly. Lexicon Valley is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now... Sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. 
Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. All right, back to 86. So the 1933 example comes from a newspaper column by Walter Winchell, the famous New York columnist. He wrote for the New York Daily Mirror, and Winchell's column was syndicated all around the country. This particular example was discovered by a name that should be familiar to Lexicon Valley listeners, Barry Popick, who Hmm. figured prominently in the episode about the Big Apple. And others. He pops up in a a lot of our episodes. (laughs) He certainly does. He's he's an intrepid word sleuth trying to pin down the earliest examples of lots of words and phrases, especially ones that are from New York. And this particular term, 86, is associated with New York among the people who would be working at hash houses, places where, you know, you'd have the short order cook cooking up something and there'd be an exchange of information about what the orders were to the cook. And that message sometimes would be rather coded. Like shorthand or like police broadcast codes or something else that we have to convey a lot of information in a very compact way very quickly. But, you know, this particular lingo from the hash house to the lunch counters of, you know, the soda jerks and so forth, it wasn't always very brief or numerical. And sometimes the coded language that was used would actually be quite elaborate and wasn't actually saving you any breath to say it. And so if you ordered two eggs on toast and you wanted them scrambled, you would hear the call to the cook, Adam and Eve on a raft, wreck them. Adam and Eve on a, on a raft, wreck them. It sounds like something from a David Letterman top 10 list (laughs) of short order names that sound real but aren't. Yeah, well, some of them are really ridiculous. I mean, I was just going through lists of these because various lists were floating around in newspapers as well as uh, the journal American Speech. And so actually in 1936, American Speech had an article by a Columbia professor named Harold W. Bentley. The title was Linguistic Concoctions of the Soda Jerker. Bentley actually had his Columbia students go around to the different drugstores, lunch counters, and so forth around New York and collect these examples, and then they were published. And it's fascinating to read it because, yeah, I mean... Sleeping hobos in a tent, rush them. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That could be one, you know. Here's an example for ham and potato and cabbage. You could say, Noah's boy with Murphy carrying a wreath. Mm. I mean, that's longer than the original thing, so it's definitely not a shortcut at all. But there were also other codes. So, for instance, uh, 95. 95 meant that a customer was walking out without paying. So, again, that could come in handy. If you just yelled out 95, then that would be easier than saying, hey, that guy is walking out without paying, you know. Right, and you wouldn't alert the customer who was attempting to dine and dash that you were onto him. Exactly, exactly. And then there were comments on uh, female customers, as could be expected, I guess, in coded language. So, for instance, 87 and a half meant that there was a girl at the table with her legs conspicuously crossed or otherwise attractive. So check out the gams on that one is basically what 87 and a half meant. Is there any linguistic arena in life that sexism has not entered? I believe the actuary (laughs) trade is relatively free of (laughs) misogynistic and diminishing argot. 
Would you get a load of the morbidity on her? <laughs> no, I don't think so. So we've got all these numbers floating around. And, you know, again, well-documented from the early 1930s, this whole code. And 86 is the only one that's actually survived. And because it's the one that has survived, continues not just in restaurant jargon, but more popularly with all these different meanings, uh, including to kill or get rid of in some way, people continue to this day to come up with all sorts of interesting explanations. So we heard Bob speculate, well, it must have something to do with some unit of measurement that'd be used in a barrel and that sort of thing. And I think because it's so specifically a number, people assume, well, this can't just be arbitrary, right? There has to be some motivation that we can figure out. And many of the explanations that people have come up with have to do with New York landmarks. You mean like the Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty? Empire State Building. Funny you should mention the Empire State Building. Well, it comes to mind when you say New York City landmark. <laughs> Quite a prominent one, right. And, uh, and, I, and I, I, I'm so embarrassed I was going to go with the Javits Center. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've ever gone up to the top of the Empire State Building or as far as they let you go up, do you know what floor you get the out on? The observation deck? The observation deck, on, you know what floor? On the 87-and-a-half 80, floor <laughs> where all the women cross their legs. Am I warm? They never let you go up to the 87-and-a-half floor. you got to stop at 86. Yeah, the Empire State Building has more floors than that, but that's where the observation deck is. So it's easy to think, oh, well, they kick everybody out of the elevator on 86. So maybe you could imagine the uh, elevator attendant would say, 86, get out, or something like that. But doesn't that seem like something that would be well-preserved in print, right? Somebody telling a story of the elevator yes. operator saying exactly yes. that? Now, remember, our first... Also, the Empire State Building, well, it was built in the 30s, so it would have been mighty quick for that elevator talk to to find its way into the common parlance. That's correct. In fact, 1931 is when the Empire State Building was built. And let's remember that the first example we have in print is from Walter Winchell in 1933. And certainly he would have noted that. I mean, he was a New York guy. But interestingly, Walter Winchell is actually quoting one of his correspondents about soda jerk jargon from Hollywood. He's giving it as an example that's coming from California. He says nothing about a New York origin. Perhaps the most popular one that has to do with a particular New York landmark, not as famous as the Empire State Building, has to do with a, an old bar called Chumley's. Chumley's Bar is in the West Village. It's on Bedford Street. Well, actually, you know, it dates back to the 20s. It's been closed since, I believe, 2007, and they're trying to reopen it now. I actually just passed it on the way to the studio. It's at 86 Bedford Street. Mm. It dates back, as I said, to the Prohibition era. And so in one popular version of the story, you have to know that the building actually has a kind of a secret side entrance on Barrow Street. But the police also knew about this secret entrance. And they sometimes raided the bar. And, you know, according to the stories, very often the bartenders would be tipped off in advance that the police were on their way, and they would be coming through the Barrow Street entrance. And so, supposedly, the bartender would have enough time to let everybody know that they had to get out the front door on 86 Bedford, and they could just yell out, 86 it, or 86 everybody, and they knew, run to the front entrance of the bar. 
they could also just be like, leave, the cops are coming. <laughs> I got to tell you, I've had guests where I've wanted to 1202 for them more than once. <laughs> so another version of the Chumley's story is that if you were really getting drunk and you had to get kicked out, you would be forcibly removed from Chumley's out the front door. And there was no sign that said Chumley's. It's just the number on the door. So if you would be lying there on the sidewalk, having just been kicked out of the bar, you would look up and see that number 86 and know that you had been 86 Say, some sort of wise guy, eh? <laughs> Why don't I just boot you out of here? You know, I walk on this street pretty often, and um, I see tour groups, and they're talking about the various historic buildings. It's a very historic block. And I'm sure the tour guides are telling these gullible tourists these stories about Chumleys and how 86 derives from it. And there it is, 86, right on the door. Like the Circle Line tours uh, around Manhattan that we've discussed on this show before that misinform tourists about the provenance of the term Big Apple. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's another bit of numerical slang which tour guides in New York love to talk about, which has been debunked again by Barry Popick and others, and that is 23 skidoo. And I'm going to learn all the expressions, too, like vote o dio do 23 skidoo. There's the answer. Unlucky at cards? You must be lucky in love. Eo, you kid, 23 skidoo. <laughs> Big band stew says 23 skidoo. Boom! old vaudeville term, right? It may have vaudeville roots, that's true, but the story that you get told by tour guides if you're going past the Flatiron Building on 23rd Street is that when the Flatiron Building was first built, there was a kind of an updraft so that women's skirts would blow up in front of the Flatiron Building. Here we go with the sexist roots again. So there would be groups of young men ogling the women and then the uh, police, as usual, would sort of show up and uh, spoil the fun. And supposedly they would yell, 23 skidoo. The only problem with that is that the 23 part, meaning get out of here, can actually be dated back to 1899, which was three years before the Flatiron Building was even built. Skidoo has its own roots related to words like skedaddle, skedaddle, skadoodle eventually becoming Skidoo and being combined with this number 23, having nothing to do with the Flatiron Building, but that won't stop the tour guides from telling you that. We'll be back in just a moment. Lexicon Valley is also brought to you this week by Texture. Texture is an app that you can download on your phone or tablet that gives you access to more than 150 magazines. You can read the full issue of any magazine available on Texture, including back issues. Of course, that's not how most people read magazines, cover to cover. We choose individual articles. And so Texture recommends articles that it thinks you might like. For example, a piece called The Genius of Star Wars in Time Magazine is highlighted for me this week. I'm not sure I'm going to see the new Star Wars movie, but I will definitely read that piece because I was a big fan of the original trilogy, not so much the second trilogy. So it's that simple. If you like reading magazines, you'll love Texture. And Texture is offering Lexicon Valley listeners a free trial right now if you go to texture.com slash lexicon. Full access to more than 150 of the world's magazines from back issues to the one currently on the newsstand. For a free trial, go to texture.com slash lexicon. Okay, back to the show. So 23 skidoo, 86, you know, these numbers, when numbers enter slang, 
It's interesting how people really want to figure out what do those numbers represent. A classic example of this is the whole nine yards. We could devote an entire episode to talking about all the many different explanations that people have come up with that. What's interesting is that we're getting more evidence from different parts of the country, particularly you know, in the South, where you could say the whole six yards or the whole nine yards Either version would be acceptable, and it just so happens that whole nine yards won out in the end. Hmm. So, Like six ways to Sunday, seven ways to Sunday, eight ways to Sunday, yeah, 34 I mean, ways to Sunday. <laughs> or how many pounds is the elephant in the room that you're not allowed to talk about? Is it an elephant or is it a gorilla? Oh, gorilla, that's right. Yeah. No, no, hold it, hold Wait. it, hold it. It's a 500-pound gorilla. Gorilla, sorry. It's an elephant in the room. I'm combining two different people, things. And that's yes, what people do. There's a 500-pound <laughs> elephant in the room. Wait, what? That's a rather slender elephant. <laughs> that's true. That wouldn't make much sense at all. Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, so the gorilla, yes. And you might come up with some arbitrarily large amount. So in the case of 86, it's arbitrary in a different way because it's coming out of this coded system where a number stands for a particular message that you want to get across. And the article from 1936 that I mentioned from American Speech has a bunch of these signaled numbers, everything ranging from two and a half for a small glass of fresh milk to 99, the head soda man. And in fact, there were lots of sort of regional variations on these numerical codes as they were being written up in different newspapers and journals. I found one example, Los Angeles Times in 1938, the code that they said for we've run out of that item on the menu is 87. So, um, you know, when I was a young reporter, Ben, I had to uh, cover the police for a period of time, a year or so, and I had to listen to police scanners, and I was in a place where there was the county police and they had one set of codes and the city police that had another set of codes. And I'd hear a radio transmission and I would know that either there was a triple homicide or there was a disabled vehicle on the expressway. And I could never quite <laughs> know how to react. But like I said, 86 is the one that survived. All these other codes started fading away, I think, by the really by the 1940s. And we get all these new meanings. 86 becomes a verb. It's interesting how it, it ends up getting shifted from things like items on the menu or a drink to people. In the University of Nebraska Omaha newspaper in 1936, they give an example. And here we go again with the, the boys ogling the girls. It says, girls, if you walk into the drugstore and the good-looking guy behind the fountain yells out pineapple, you may feel flattered, as that means in good English, that he thinks you are a wow a honey, and a cute little trick. But if he hollers 86, he doesn't like your type. Gee, I'm a cute little trick. How flattering. Mm, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So you're suggesting, Ben, that that example is the first time that you know of that 86 is used with regard to a person? Yeah, yeah. And we see it happening more starting in the 1940s. So there was a serialized novel that appeared in the Washington Post in 1942 called Murder With Your Malted by Jerome Barry. <laughs> and in the dialogue in this, uh, what, in this by story... By the way, some of the best <laughs> soda fountain genre fiction that the Eastern Seaboard turned out during the entire post-war period, in my opinion. <laughs> it's a pretty narrow genre, let's say, yeah. A lunch counter mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this line, and he's trying to figure out, TK will be 86, and it... It's explained to the character, it's soda popper jargon. 
then it's further explained. 86 means out. The tuna fish salad is 86, means there isn't any more. And if you say a guy is 86, that means he's fired or all washed up or something like that. There is one final little tidbit that I can share that predates that Walter Winchell column. Maxwell Smart. <laughs> Maxwell Smart. Maxwell Smart, Agent 86. There you go. Well, you know, it's funny because actually if you ask people what 86 means and they start speculating, sometimes they'll say, oh, is it because Maxwell Smart was Agent 86? But that's backwards. I mean, the reason he was Agent 86 was because that was already a funny number. Right. If you're an agent and you have a code number, 86 is not a very glamorous Not a very auspicious number to boast. This is Smart. Maxwell Smart, Agent 86. One final tidbit, but I don't even know what to do with it, and uh, slang experts don't know what to do with it. There was a play that was produced in 1927 called Burlesque, a comedy that was on Broadway, and it's got lots of colorful characters who drink a lot. There is an exchange in this play, Burlesque, where a waiter is talking to a couple of uh, drunk customers, and he says, if you need any scotch or gin, sir, my number is 86. And then later the waiter reminds them, He's 86, like 86, I know. And then the waiter leaves, and then one of them pulls out a, an enormous flask from his pocket. So that's from 1927. And was it a veiled reference to what we later understood as, you know, a customer is very drunk and, and you had to do something with that person? It's hard to say. It seems like a real outlier because that whole idea of the drunk customer that you had to get rid of doesn't start showing up in print sources until the 1940s. Was this some code from 1927 that was understood as a kind of a veiled reference? We don't know. There's no way really of knowing. And so we have to keep digging. Maybe we'll find other examples that predate that Walter Winchell 1933 column that help flesh out the picture. But because this was secret language, it's very difficult to investigate. So we're still working on it. The word sleuths are still trying to figure out exactly what was going on in the late 20s and the early 30s with this word slash number. Yeah, Barry Popick and you other words, Luce, get on the case. I did not even know that 86 was particular to the restaurant industry. So for me, this has all been an education, but it seems hard to believe that we've reached the end of our story here. I feel like there's more to be discovered. If you know anything else or think you know anything else about the number 86, then please write to us, lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. You can follow us on Twitter at lexiconvalley, and please... Subscribe to our feed in the iTunes store where you can leave a rating and a review. Thanks to Ben Zimmer, who is the executive editor of Vocabulary.com, where he will have more about the word and the number 86 on his Word Roots column this week. Andy Bowers is our executive producer. All right, Mikey. We done here? Yep, we are done. 86, Gator. You know a female that's rolling with the lynch mob. Watch your step because the gat is kept in the purse like my own girl, Yo-Yo. You got to be down and you can't be a hoe, no. Because if you are, I'll be the first one to bust you out. After my crew, I'll be the first one to rush you out. Get the picture, picture, get the 86. If she want to try and mix business and pleasure, make up your own mind.